Hello and welcome everyone to a very special EGX edition of the Finger Guns podcast. I'm your host Josh, who has successfully secured the hosting spot for this episode only. Unless I'm coming for you, Ross. And joining me for the exciting episode is Miles. Hello there. You are the captain now. I am the captain now. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's try and pretend we didn't just try and record this podcast less than 24 hours ago. I know, right? It's not For like a... we spent an entire hour already talking about these things and then losing <laughs> the whole file. <laughs> no, no, we definitely didn't. This is strictly the first time we'll be talking together about the podcast, about the podcast, about the UGX <laughs> experience for sure. Oh yeah, 100%. We haven't spoken a word about it to each other uh, since we're at EGX. Definitely not. So, you know, we can cut all the, oh, how should we talk about this? And Because we knew how we were going to talk about it in the end. We were going by by day. So we started on Friday the 13th. Naturally. Um, Yep, of course. We didn't even think about it in terms of traveling and all that. Like, no bad luck, thankfully. But um, yeah, we had a bit, I had a bit of problem. Problems? God, it has been a long weekend. <laughs> you can tell how like unpunished um, we've been for the weekend. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yes, so it's Sunday night now. We didn't go to, we didn't do Sunday for EGX. Um, I think for the better, really, in terms of travel today, has been an absolute nightmare for both of us. It has. Um, yeah, and uh, I hear to this day, that their people are still at Euston waiting for that train. Um, <laughs> I'm not because I've got on King's Cross to Leeds and then back home. So it was a bit, a bit of a way out of the way, but I, I'm home. I am talking to Miles and we are talking EGX. Um, awesome games. Yes. So the first thing that we did, uh, we saw it was from the Quali gaming booth, the publisher Quali. Um, it was a game that I saw on the list prior to the event, and uh, it was something that I was like, "This is straight up Miles's street." Um, and that is a game called Robo Beat. Miles, do you want to talk about Robo Beat? I absolutely want to talk about Robo Beat. It's great. <laughs> um, so yeah, anyone who kind of is listening to this, uh, Josh has a very good knack of finding games for other people that he figures they will like, and. Of, I'd probably say a good maybe 40% of the indie games I have played have been at some point recommended by Josh to me to play. Uh, Robo Beat was one of these. So uh, I watched the trailer in advance. And basically, if you've not heard of it before, it is a first person rhythm shooter, um, much like, you know, Metal Hell Singer or BPM Bullets Per Minute. Um, we stumbled across it and it just happened to be free, didn't it? And we were just like, mm-hmm. you were like, oh, look, Robo Beat's free. And I was like, is that the one that I really like the look of? And you were like, yes. And I was like, cool. Um, and I got to play through basically about a quarter of one biome. Uh, there's going to be five biomes in total in the game. Um, so I got to clear out like a few arenas or a few like sections of a level. Um, and it's really, really sick. I was really struggling to not kind of like head smash my way through the whole thing. Like the synthy, like electro soundtrack is really good. Um, and the gameplay is really synced like perfectly for the combat um, or with the soundtrack rather. Um, and it just really works like surprisingly well, considering that this is um, a kind of indie project and the fact that they've been working on this for quite a while. Um, you know, the guns really person, su- right? 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, which is just wild to me. Like, there's a load of enemy variety. There's a, like 50 different weapons that they're going to have in the game. There's a bunch of abilities that you can use. Uh, one of the guns I had was like this lightning weapon where if you landed the headshot on the beat in sync, um, it would then chain the effect to every other enemy in their vicinity or in the arena. Um, and I literally at one point like fired off my revolver, fired this thing and cleared the whole room like immediately. And I was like, this is fucking amazing. Um, but it is a bit more kind of, I guess it's not as punishing as say BPM, because if you do shoot out of time, you will still do a bit of damage, just much less. Um, and you don't have to do things like kind of dashing or dodging or jumping in time to the beat, which in Metal Hellsinger and in BPM, you did have to really nail those at the same time as well. <laughs> so it feels like a really good amalgamation of like those genres and yeah, from like the the 10 minutes or so I spent playing through it, all I wanted to do was jump back in and play more of it. So yeah, it's a really cool looking game. And um, I think it's going to be quite popular when it does eventually manage to come out. Yeah, I think um, I think the representative there said to me when you finished it, he was like, not really anybody's f- finished that game that fast. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, I was kind of expecting him to be a bit, <laughs> have a bit more time on that. Um, and which I thought was just funny. It just shows that you're in practice with, uh, like you've mentioned, Metal Hellsinger, and I got a lot of sprawl vibes from that as well, which you've recently played and reviewed. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So that was Robo Beat from Insanity Games. That that was the first game, and what a way to start EGX uh, yeah. with a game like that. Yeah, set the bar like super high, like incredibly high from that point. Like, I think that was the moment we were both like, cool, we're here. Like, this is, we've arrived kind of thing. Um, And yeah, great way to start it. Yeah. And then we checked out our same, same booth with the Quali, Spirit of the Samurai. Um, And that is a game that I got to play. Uh, And what it essentially is, is a 2D um, action game. Uh, think of like Trek to Yomi, uh, or kind of like a 2D Dark Souls. So it's set in a samurai period. Uh, you will end up in the full game, you'll supposedly end up playing as the samurai, uh, the cat that is on their shoulder in the, in the promotional image, and a spirit as well. Um, uh, it's a game where the samurai has their village burnt to the ground. Um, and they're on a mission to kind of, I guess, revenge. He, the the, uh, the the stories was a little bit loose in terms of its description, I think, because they're still quite a ways off with the game um, in terms of how they're going to finish it. Um, but yeah, what I played of it was uh, really exciting. So it's got this kind of art style where um, the studio is from an animation background. So a lot of their stuff before that has been kind of like... Um, I think hand-drawn animation uh, to make it. So, sh- <clears throat> excuse me. So that um, uh, it's a sixty frames per second game, but they have made the characters and the animations twenty-four frames per second, and that's the sweet spot for cinema. Um, so what they've kind of done to get that sort of stop-motiony feel is to cut from in, cut frames in between that twenty-four and sixty to get it that smooth but whilst having this sort of like uh, stop motion um effect on it um and i said to miles as well i was like i think this game because miles had a few reservations with the combat in trek to yomi 
I said, I think this game will answer your woes on, on terms of combat because the right stick is your attack. So you can flick it right, you'll swing right, flick it left, you'll swing left, and that'll be you turning back and forth to the enemies and attacking them any which way, performing combos. There's obviously a parry where if you time it right, you get a nice little frame slow down period where you can do your favorite combos to finish off the enemies. And then there's a bow that you can have as well to fix, to flick in between. And it looks promising. Um, someone asked when the game is going to come out and the, <laughs> the developer kind of in a very like matter of fact way just said, it's, it's going to come out when it's ready. Um, uh, <laughs> I which, is fair <laughs> which is fair enough. Um, this was, I think, uh, he said that the first time they showed this demo off was to Tokyo Game Show um, because it is very much focused on Japanese law. They felt like the real challenge is getting people from the culture to kind of agree with kind of the game, make sure they've not upset anyone uh, or offended anyone with how they've represented their country and their history because it is based on some folklore. Um, and they said, you know, it was, it was actually a pretty good show at Tokyo Game Show for for the game for because I think that I believe the uh, development studio is from Spain. Um, so they felt like they needed to kind of have the approval of the uh, history that they're taking from. Um, and then, so this is the first time outside of Japan that this has been shown off, um, which is quite special. It means I was probably one of the first, maybe a couple of hundred people that got to check out Spirit of the Samurai um, over in, this side of the country, uh, this side of the world, even. You're an um, OG. <laughs> <laughs> I was there day one. Um, so yeah, I uh, I do think it. I I do think it's a way out. Um, I think their favorite aspect of getting to show their game at EGX is just that they will have these comments from people on how they can fix kind of these quality of life issues, like. Uh, <laughs> Miles and I were laughing at how badly I was just going up those stairs in the game. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> the, the stairs were the real enemy. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's there was the Y button. It's the Xbox controller. So the Y button triangle, however, um, is supposed to be the one that you interact with things. I kept on seeing a little uh, highlight to say go up the stairs. So I pressed interact. Um, wasn't happening. So you, I was figuring out how I had it to work. So you basically got to like. Go in the go in the direction that you need to go whilst pressing the buttons to interact with it to then go up the stairs, and man, that was finicky as hell. But the combat was awesome. Uh, he said that you can change your combos up. You can have your favorites tied to the the button mappings or the the trigger mappings, um, so you can kind of fight your way by the end. Um, there was like a cat portion of the demo as well that people were playing he was like this demo this part of the demo is not finished we've literally just done done it just to show it but it's not done nobody's tested it nobody's going to beat it because of it's not finished um but there were some people that were trying it and that was kind of like a stealth section like uh think of little nightmares where it's 2d you kind of got to hide behind the the uh the objects to get away from this big monster um yeah no one got through that everyone failed bless their hearts they were going for it but um i did not play that section of the demo i was like you know what i'm gonna waste my time with that i'm gonna get into <laughs> that you're sensible you actually played the part of the game that works. 
yeah, which he recommended to everyone. But they were like, nah, let's do the hard one. I was like, okay. All righty um, But yeah, that was a great, that was a great, uh, great taste of what's to come for Spirit of the Samurai. Um, and then we did a little bit of extracurricular activities. We went over to the theatre and we saw Max Payne in the flesh. The actual Max um, Payne, the face of Max the ac- Payne. Yes, the actual uh, model, face model of Max Payne, is who is Sam Lake. Um, Sam Lake is obviously not just the face of Max Payne. He is one of the creative leads at Remedy. Um, he is pretty much the spokesperson for Remedy at this point. Uh, if you see anything Alan Wake control, uh, Max Payne adjacent, then you'll be hearing him talking about it for sure. Um, so that was that was kind of like a, a moment for us both, I think, because as Remedy fans, we were like, yeah, of course we want to see Max Payne in the flesh. Um, yeah. Uh, how was that for you, Mars? How was seeing Sam Lake for the first time and hearing him talk about the the upcoming release of Alan Wake 2? It almost felt a bit surreal at first, didn't it? Like, I think we went in and kind of sat down and then he kind of came out and <laughs> he'd flown over from New York uh, same day. So he'd literally flown straight in, come here. You could tell he was like knackered. Like he desperately needed some caffeine to just get him going. Um, but it was really cool just seeing, obviously, Max Payne. I think there's a lot... I think he's kind of been, like, suffered that kind of meme kind of thing where there's actually so much more to him than, you know, being the face of a video game character from 20 years ago. Um, but it was really interesting, obviously, getting to hear. They focused mainly on just Alan Wake 2, so we got some story tidbits and some really interesting kind of perspectives about it. I think um, one of the things that I found most interesting was how he effectively said that he was glad um, Alan Wake 2 has taken 13 years to develop, which on the surface, I think everyone in the forum was a bit like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why would why would you be happy about that? Um But his kind of reasoning was that in that kind of time, they've been able to develop and work on lots of other games, figure out how to do certain mechanics, work on certain styles that they really like to work with and kind of refine all those processes. And then from doing that, he said the story's basically gone through multiple iterations before it finally got green lighted to actually go ahead. Um, And he said the story that they've put together for Alan Wake 2 now is far superior than anything that would have been released, you know, 10 years ago. Um, which was really interesting to hear because it's not common that you'll get like the head of a studio effectively saying like we've had this game on ice that we've wanted to work on for ages and actually we're quite glad we were forced to sit on it for a bit. Um, So I found that like really interesting and just hearing more about kind of Remedy's creative processes and some of the ways that they're approaching Alan Wake 2. I think there's some really cool parts in it that are going to be exciting for us to actually play and experience, um, particularly on the story front. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think there's been so many previews of Alan Wake 2 just in the past month uh, where we've been inundated with so much information on what's going on, how the game works and stuff like that. Um, One kind of tidbit that I think I took away as the most significant is obviously we know that the game takes place uh, with two characters. So you have Saga Anderson as the FBI agent in the real world and then you have Alan Wake who is in the dark place so the nightmare world um and that the game will function basically in a way that you you're going to experience both parts of the story um no matter what so you're not going to miss anything 
but that you can interchange at any point. And not only that, Alan Wake's storytelling with his writing is effectively uh, influencing Saga's um, procedural um, corkboard of information uh, on these serial killings that are going on. So both are bleeding into each other's worlds through their actions. And you can see it basically on a wall of things and you can switch between the two to kind of see where um, both those influences lie and what kind of how it inter- intertwines because he was talking about um, both of them characters kind of being the reflection of a dark mirror to each other. Um, so yeah, that that was really cool to hear. And I think Sam said uh, that the way that you go about it, it might mean that you're read on the story or your kind of experience with the story will be different to another person's because um, whilst it's all the same content, no matter where you play it, um, there's going to be moments that are either foreshadowing or there's moments that are are like callbacks to what's just happened somewhere else with Saga. Um, And I felt that was quite an interesting story technique. And I think that's probably where that 13 years has come from. Um, There's been, you know, we've had control that he kind of described that as like um, a feature that's separate from Alan Wake um, that he always had it planned to be in that sort of universe, but they didn't want to say anything until it was kind of like too late that the the audience have found that it is connected because there's obviously little hints throughout control that kind of showcase it. And then that the um, AWE DLC is essentially um Alan Wake, the introduction of Alan Wake being in control as well. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really glad that we're kind of getting this remedy connections and that they're kind of thinking ahead of themselves in terms of uh, stringing these narratives whilst keeping them separate. Um, he did say that you don't necessarily need to play anything else to play Alan Wake too, um, and I think that's a really interesting spot as to kind of jump in on a remedy game this is like an out and out survival horror so if you're a fan of that um then you've got something to play if you're a fan of remedy then you've got something to play um and if you just want a scary game for october you've got something to play so that comes out october 27th it was really cool to see sam lake um i think some of the fan questions were quite interesting that you know they don't have that sort of etiquette that industry folk have so they 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 are allowed to be a little bit cheeky with their questions. They can pry into things that um, maybe um, someone from an outlet probably wouldn't because they've been told not to. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so that was really interesting. Um, and then we moved on to one of our only obligations that we had going to the event through request of Roscoe. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> oh, God, this is painful. It's not. I, do you know what? It's funny because obviously you were last night. We were talking about it, and Miles had um, Miles. Yeah, yeah. Miles felt pain to talk about this, but um, it's something that Ross wanted us to play. I was happy to play it because I. I'm we did fan. it for Roscoe, didn't we? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan of the franchise, but I'm not like tied to it like I think Roscoe is. Um, however, we didn't get to play Sonic. Because you guys are probably thinking, oh, they played Sonic. No, we didn't play Sonic. I wouldn't uh, have played Sonic. That, that that would be a step too far. Even for Roscoe, I'm sorry, mate, but Sonic is a step too far. Well, it wasn't just that. I think um, we went into the EGX experience uh, kind of already 
kind of saying goodbye to the long queues. Um, we didn't really want to queue for a long time for the big games when we might play them anyway later on. We kind of wanted to catch the smaller games that maybe we would miss it had we queued three hours for a Call of Duty beta that's probably already um, out at this point for players to, to check out. Um, but yes, uh, no more preamble. We got into Mario Wonder um, because there wasn't, there wasn't really a queue. We were kind of like the next people in line immediately so um yeah we played mario wonder it is a 2d uh 2d platformer kind of like how mario started basically um they we i don't think we played enough to give our impressions on kind of the new aspects of the game it helps um, when you play the character that can even use the new aspects of the game <laughs> unlike yeah. me <laughs> yeah so right at the start of the demo uh a representative of nintendo basically said to us too um don't pick these characters, these characters being Yoshi and uh, another one I can't remember. Yeah, I can't um, remember who the other one think, was. Maybe Toad? I think they might be. It's not Toad. I think it's a new character unique to Mario Wonder. Uh, um, they looked like a bit of a bad guy. Um, <laughs> but but it, basically, these, these two characters do not um, aren't able to use the powers, the power-ups, um, which there are some new ones in this in Mario Wonder. Um, yeah, so we I'd say we probably played about 10 minutes before we got kicked off, right? Yeah, probably about 10, 15 minutes. We did uh, about, what, like four or five levels and a bonus stage? The levels oh, aren't very I, long. I think, we, I think we did three levels. <laughs> oh, I thought we did like four. <laughs> no, that was you like dreading that we had, that I was like, let's play one more. And you were like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it was um, probably me just yeah. sulking. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of, it's, a two, it's the 2D experience that you all know and love. Um, but there are these things called Wonder Seeds now, and they are in the level as you collect them. They're kind of like hidden collectibles. Um, and once you collect them in the map, the world gets very psychedelic. It goes funky. You know, as things start dancing around, it goes wild. Um, and then you've got the powers on top of that, which are some old, some new that you recognize. There's the regular power-ups that make you bigger. Um, you can fire. Uh, you can be Super Mario firing your balls. Uh, there, there is a name for that. Um, I'm not a Mario aficionado, aficionado, so I'm sorry. Um, and then you have the new power with, where you can turn into an elephant and kind of charge, flick water with your hose and uh, and uh, body slam. I think you can body slam as a person, but as an elephant, you do a lot more to the environment when you do that. Like one of the levels, there were trees that you could body slam and they'd go lower, which you can collect more um, coins and find stars and et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, I don't think we played that much to give our, our, a good enough kind of, this is what the game is entirely. Um, it is essentially more Mario, 2D Mario. So if you love Mario, you're definitely going to pick this up um, without us giving you the whole rundown of it um it's a good time uh it's it's probably one of the first marios to have so many characters playable at at the jump um i think that was a selling point for for the game uh with its promotion um so yeah and that was kind of that was the end of day one right we kind of um took that in our stride and then we went out um did took care of personal matters <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. I, I having a few drinks with friends that I've not seen in five years. So, so that was quite nice. Yeah, that's um, cool. And 
yeah, uh, Miles met him for the first time. I think we all got along very well. Um, and then we moved on to day two. Uh, we got up nice and early for this. We kind of, I think we probably fell asleep after we got to the hotel and did a bit of work and I was screaming and crying over my phone. We got to bed <laughs> about, yeah, we, to sleep about one. And we had some, got up uh, at eight. Yeah, we had some great concern for your phone for a while. And yeah, we got straight up at eight to make sure that we can make the most of day two. Yeah. Um, and we queued like look, good little boys. Uh, waited for the entrance, which was the early entrance at 10 o'clock. Um, and it was still pretty packed. Um, so people were excited to turn up to the event. Um, and we walked in through, through the front doors and immediately turned right. And we found something that uh, really caught my eye. Um, and I hadn't seen anything about it prior, but it is a fighter game called Two Strike. Uh, I've done a lot of talking. I'm going to let Miles speak on Two Strike a little bit. <laughs> How did you feel about Two Strike? Kind of what give uh, give the listeners what we're what the kind of game is about. What the lowdown is? Yeah, it was. Um, again, this was quite a surprise one because, like you said, we just kind of strolled in, saw it was free. The guy, uh, the d- main developer or the head of the studio, uh, kind of said, "Oh, do you want to have a go?" And we were like, "Yeah, sure, absolutely." Um, and it's effectively, if you imagine kind of Tekken meets kind of samurai, um, kind of warriors kind of vibe to it. Um, but it's all based around the mechanic of it's a one hit kill system effectively. So you've got a weak strike, which you can get away with two of those before you're killed. And then you have a strong strike, which takes a while to power up. But if it hits, it's an instant win. You just win the round straight out. Um, you've got a kind of deflection system or a block system, um, but you have to time it. If you just hold the button, as I discovered in the first three rounds against Josh, you will just get minced because it won't actually block anything. Um, so you have to do parries and you have to do deflections. I also discovered there was a faint button, which wasn't mapped on the, the kind of explanation, but it was kind of cool because there's kind of little mechanics like that, which... Obviously, when you're not told about, you just discover organically. So I abused the the shit out of that for about two games against Josh. Um, But when we were chatting to the main kind of developer or the head of um, the studio, um, he effectively explained that the kind of inspiration for the game was, I can't remember the director, you'll know it, Josh, but it's Seven Samurais. Who's the director for it again? Um, Akira Kurosawa. That's the one. And effectively, he was explaining that there's this kind of um kind of training scene where these two samurais or ronins are using kind of wooden swords to train and practice um one of them then declares that he was the winner the other one kind of disagrees and they then decide to switch to to proper samurai swords and actually have a proper sword fight during the course of this one of them effectively has a split moment of just not kind of concentrating not paying attention josh i'm sure you'll probably give a better explanation of this afterwards but Effectively, in that one moment, the fight is won. The other person slashes him. That's all it takes. And he wanted to try and capture that kind of atmosphere, that kind of tension, the kind of sword play, and how one mistake is enough to cost you. Um, And the game's built around this mechanic of it only takes one heavy strike to go down. But when you are powering up or using that heavy strike, you are effectively throwing yourself to the walls. Because if the other person jumps in with a weak attack, they can disrupt you and effectively end it there and then. Um, so it was really interesting. because The first couple of rounds, we're both kind of figuring out the controls, trying to work out how to play properly. 
And then towards the end of it, we had this really cool round, didn't we, Josh, where it was like we were both throwing kind of moves at the same time. We both deflected. We had this moment where we both clashed swords at the same moment, which made us both kind of like recoil backwards. Um, the animation's really on point. So everything that you do just feels very stylistic and very cool. Um, and it's just beautifully rendered as well. The character models are absolutely incredible. I mean, he did explain they've had to wait, you know, a hell of a lot longer than expected to get all these character models together. Um, but I think the work and the time that they've put in was really, really worth it. And yeah, there's a lot to kind of appreciate about the game. Um, it's out on early access on Steam at the moment, so you can try it out. Um, and yeah, we just had a really good time with this of figuring out how best to play using different strategies. Um, I found two really overpowered <laughs> characters really quickly um, and took advantage of that while Josh played as probably the shortest character and I the tallest. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of potential in the game and they did do a tournament there as well. And I think if we hadn't have had other commitments, I would have been keen to to drop in and give that a go. Um, but yeah, I think it was a really I, I would have watched. I, I would have watched from afar seeing people play at like a a better level than us maybe i i mean i'd hope so because we were awful so i'd hope <laughs> yeah. there were better people <laughs> and if it's an early access someone could basically pretend oh what's this game and then they've yeah. been playing for something like six months and kick ass but Just yeah, yeah everyone i never vocalized it but when we were playing it, it did feel like a like a match of tennis, you know, that back and forth of kind of like, yeah, you know, with, with tennis, there's there's there are the quote unquote moves that you do when you when you you know when you're playing tennis of kind of how to outwit your opponent through not just hitting the ball over the net. There are ways to kind of you know underhand it so it's a shorter string or overshoot it so they have to go back basically making your opponent use the whole court to kind of you know essentially try and get them out by kind of tactically tactically playing through the match and that is what two strike is you know you you mentioned the feign button and everything like that like there is a lot of room for kind of excellent plays basically um it's not like say your traditional fighters where you could make a mistake, but you can learn from that and can continue through the fight and possibly win over there because there's not those sort of mechanics that do change the tide in games, which, you know, some people might miss for a fighter, but when it's so tense and there's such a back and forth, when if you're really both really good at it, and I assume people will get really good at this game, that it is going to be an electrifying thing to watch because there's so many ways that you can <clears throat> not really hit each other but also feel like you are being on the defense whilst the offense is on you yeah. um yeah and I, it was also it, yeah it was really cool to have that sort of back and forth and um yeah really looking forward to the full release of two strike but he did talk about that there is going to be a campaign there's going to be nine characters overall um the i think the only thing we didn't see like the character wise was maybe the boss of the fight Yes. Um, or like the big boss at the end game, he said, was the only character that we didn't show at the demo because um, the early access has seven. I think we either got eight or nine characters that we could play as. Um, 
so yeah that was really fun to, you know that was another one where we were like really surprised that we when we saw it that you know not surprised that it was good just surprised that you know it's not something we expected and then we came away like blown away by the actual quality of the game and how exciting the uh the the design of the game is that works so well with the combat yeah 100% it's just a really cool idea and to come from like such like a singular moment of a movie and to inspire such like a really cool experience like they've really captured it like that moment of the tension yeah. of being in a sword fight and you are always on death hit like it's yeah. such a cool concept for a fighter um i just wanted to play more of it i think if we'd have had more time we would have just sat on that booth for like half the day <laughs> yeah i think we were getting an audience in the end <clears throat> and you know you kind of can feel them breathing down your neck a little bit that they just want to have their turn so i really didn't want to take too much more time off uh playing it but yeah we could we definitely could have been there learning more of the controls um but yeah, after that, we moved over to uh, Wide Productions, uh, uh, their booth where they were showing off Bulwark, Gory, and uh, Bo. No, that's Humble. Uh, Mineko? No, that is also Humble. Eh. Man. What was it? No, it was just, it was Gory. Yeah, it was just the two, I think, wasn't it? Uh, Bulwark. And then they had around the corner, they had Tin Hearts VR. There that's we go. It. There got we it. go. We got this. I've been getting I've been getting those two publishers mixed up all weekend. And <laughs> yeah. My tired level my tired levels are just exacerbating this problem that I'm having now publicly for people to hear. <laughs> <laughs> um so <laughs> Bulwark was another one. Uh it's Fal Falconeer Chronicles Bulwark is the full title. Uh it is uh I don't want to say it's a sequel. But it's in the same world of the Falconeer. Yes. Uh, I say I don't want to say it's a sequel because the original game is like a third person where you are a falcon, essentially. Um, and it's like a third person sort of action game. Whereas this is uh, like an RTS, right, Miles? Um, I think you yeah. know a lot more about it. Yeah, this is kind of like a weird like amalgamation of all different things. So it's kind of like part base builder, like a small part kind of tower defense. Um, it is real-time strategy, um, but it's just very unique. Like I've not really played a game that's tried to like mesh these things together in the way that Bulwark has. So effectively the way it works is you've got two kind of levels that you'll be doing things on. So first level is ground level. So you'll be like say if you've got like a, a lighthouse so the whole game is set across like an ocean and there's islands kind of populated throughout this whole ocean so when you're kind of expanding on a set of islands um you'll have like a lighthouse and then you use the cursor to go in one direction wherever and you kind of like move out in that direction and then you hit x on the xbox controller um and basically it'll then like deploy a structure so everything will then be connected through that. So you've got like lines of connections, but like a spider's web, but of buildings. Um, and then you start to gather resources. You have to build like different resource mining um, kind of structures. Um, so the whole idea is that you're moving from island set to island set, gathering resources, building up your stockpiles, making sure your defenses are strong. Yeah, um, You can level up all of your kind of structures, like your watchtowers or whatnot. And that's the kind of base level. So that's all of the resource management, kind of base building stuff. And then if you hit Y, you then go up into the air. So you kind of fly this kind of Zeppelin around equivalent. Um, 
And the idea is that you just point and click wherever you want to go. And then the Zeppelin will fly over and kind of explore the area and kind of reveal the fog of war and all that kind of thing. And kind of populate it around the various kind of places that you can go and explore. So you might come across another faction's base. You might come across like a hostile kind of, I guess, like a pirate base, or you might come across some resources, which you can then kind of build out to start gathering. Um, and when you get into combat, you don't control any units directly except for your Zeppelin. So obviously your bases will defend themselves with the watchtowers that you've built and upgraded. Um, and then in combat, if you're flying with the Zeppelin, you can basically pick up like units from your base who will then basically attach or leech onto your Zeppelin. They will then act independently and fire upon whatever's attacking you. So the game is built by one person as well, which is incredible. Like, I don't know how Thomas has managed to build this whole thing on his own effectively. It's really quite impressive. Um, and so some of the things that they've kind of introduced more recently was the combat and the faction system so you can for example um declare war on another faction um and when you do so effectively they'll just start attacking you so they sent like a warship after me in my demo i spent like 10 15 minutes in this demo the first half i was kind of doing the tutorial learning it and then i just came across a faction i thought fuck it let's see what happens if i declare war on them you know i can take them on with my one tower and my one zeppelin um spoiler alert not the one um i think the game very much incentivizes trying to manage your relationships with other factions and actually being peaceful for as long as possible to build up your resources and strength um i didn't do that i went straight in i love the chaotic life as uh gary from wired productions put it um and I then had a warship come after me, which downed my Zeppelin like four or five times <laughs> in a row. So what really kind of impressed me the most was two things. One is that the map for the actual game is huge. So you'll play across this big, basically almost open map uh, sandbox. Obviously, a lot of it is the sea or water, but there's so many islands to go and explore and find and interact with. And there's, I think, five factions um, or four other factions, uh, five including yours, um, where basically whatever you do will be affecting how they view things. They've got their own law, their own beliefs. If you're expanding too much, if you're being militaristic, if you're being aggressive or whatever, different factions will respond to you in different ways. Um, and the other thing that really impressed me was the graphics. So there is one texture in the whole game, and that is the fog. Other than the fog, there are no textures in this game whatsoever, which actually baffles me. Like, I, have, I fundamentally cannot understand what kind of wizardry or magic uh, the developers managed to, you know, stumble upon that can make this work. It's all cell shaded. So it looks really cool as a result. It's got this kind of almost like floating, um, like everything just meshes into each other in like a watercolor kind of way. Um, and yeah, it's a really cool looking game. It's very different and it impressed me how well it mapped onto controller, which is what I played it on. Um, so I was actually really impressed that it managed to make a functional strategy game, base building thing with this many mechanics, make make it work on a controller. Um, and yeah, the, um, the guys um, or the people that we spoke to at, at Wide Productions, they were really kind of really energetic about the game weren't they they were like super like into the games that they're publishing really kind of supportive of the developers um and their kind of enthusiasm for it really kind of came across and i think a big thing for them is 
it doesn't matter what kind of game it is as long as it's got that kind of passion behind it that they all want to get behind um then they really want to support you know different games and that really came across here because you know you had this kind of slower build rts type game on one side and then obviously as you're going to talk about josh we had a <laughs> a very different style of game literally right next to it in gory so yeah but yeah. it was a surprise but it was a really nice one yeah yeah i think um with the conversation but with gory more more to it is that uh, uh gary was kind of saying that oh we just want it to be fun like we just want i think when first and foremost we want the games to be fun yeah um so gory cuddly carnage was basically summed up into three words or you know at three kind of bullet points of a sentence and that is that you're a cat with a hoverboard that kills unicorns um <laughs> And the audience reception, we were told, is that it was very endearingly uh, compared to a PS3 title. Um, and I think I exactly knew where he was coming from as soon as he said that, that it isn't in an endearing way. It's not to be reductive of the game at all. It is that the PS3 era kind of had those weirder, wackier, like not afraid to go out there kind of games that focused on fun for first and foremost. Um what Gory Cuddly Carnage essentially is, is uh, a beat-em-up uh, action platforming game. Um, kind of like uh, I likened it to Tony Hawk's Pro Skater meets Devil May Cry. So the cat has a hoverboard and that isn't only just for the cool tricks and the traversal of grinding or wall riding or anything like that. Um, but it is its its weapon as well that is defeating these corrupted unicorns that have taken over um, this planet that you crash landed on because you need to find a new ship. Um, and yeah, it was a lot of fun. It's you know it's got that grade system in the combat. So if you're playing flawlessly, you'll get a better grade with more points. And I think that might add to a leaderboard at the end, end of each level. So you've got that kind of like competitive nature towards it. Um, and yeah, it was really fun. It was that's all I can say. It was, it was a lot of fun to play. Um, there is kind of like this whole thing with the camera. Maybe a little, I was I felt like I was fighting against the camera a little bit with the combat. Um, the enemies come at in waves in different sections, and there's more than one. And normally they might sp spawn behind you. And if you've not got like the headphones in with 3D audio, you might not know that they're necessarily there. Um, there is a lock-on system that kind of fix them in, fix the enemies into place, um, but you kind of just want to be able to free free flow and attack the groups in different times to kind of maximize your combos whilst dodging all the attacks. Um, so yeah, it was it was really good fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, the um, development team behind it started the game in Unreal Engine four, um, and then they moved on to Unreal Engine five halfway through. Um, the game is uh, complete. You can finish it from start to finish. The re what they're doing now is kind of the optimization and going back to the older Unreal Engine 4 levels and kind of uh, sprucing them up to Unreal Engine 5. Um, and yeah, I think he just described it as like, if you've played that demo, you've got that for eight more hours. Um, and that's kind of all you need. You just 
pick it up, you play, you can change your character's outfits, you can upgrade their abilities to get more t- attacks and more combos. Um, it's kind of got like this sort of gritty cyberpunk neon setting um, and you're a cat with like a leather jacket and some goggles um, and the characters around the cat because they don't, the, the cat doesn't talk, they just potentially meow at some point. Um, they've got these irreverent characters that are kind of very zany, very like um, middle school middle school humour a little bit. Um, very funny, very like, uh, it did re- remind me of like a James Gunn film, uh, maybe like the first Guardians or pre-Guardians era James Gunn where he did get a little bit rude. <laughs> um, yeah, and I had a blast playing it. Uh, uh, really enjoyable, good demo. There's like boss fights at the end and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to check that out. Gory, Cuddly Carnage. Uh, and then we moved over to Secret Mode, which uh, secretly actually kind of blew us away a little bit. Right, Miles? Yeah, it kind of... Um, th- if there was one thing I wouldn't have expected to have been a highlight of my time at EGX... It would have been racing games, and yet somehow two racing games from Secret Mode have ended up being two of probably the most fun we had during the whole weekend yes. in some ways. Um, yeah, yeah, this really came out of the like third base and really kind of smacked us for six three, didn't it? Yeah, um, well, yeah. I, you said you're not a racing fan. I'm not particularly a racing fan. I play races sometimes if the style is there. Um, I'm very like into the aesthetics of games, and if racing has some of that, like I am, I am partial to it. Um, but yeah, I think <clears throat> it was it was one where kind of at a glance we were like, oh yeah, it's a driving game, okay. But God, make way! That is going to be the party game of the year, I think, when it comes out. Um, <clears throat> what make way essentially is is a it's a kart racer from the top down view perspective. But you have rounds with these um, game modes that you have. And each round you pick a part of the racetrack that you kind of design yourself amongst your peers. Um, me and Miles was playing together and then we played with uh, like three more bots. Um, I think that's kind of the cap of amount of players that can play overall. So there's about five or six of you. Um, and yeah, so you pick your own racetrack at the start. And you can, it's kind of like chicken horse where you can be as devious as you want with how you place the uh, the racetracks or kind of as kind as you want because you you yourself are going to have to go through that. Um, and I bet people yeah. can guess how we played it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we played the traditional race mode where it was basically just um, place the track, race it, um, and then each checkpoint. Uh, so you, you'd race that part of the track that you've all collectively created the next round is you pick more racetracks, you do the first checkpoint, which you designed, now the second, and so on and so forth, until you get the most points that wins overall. Um, We ended up with a sudden death. uh, (laughs) And um, we both went out immediately, because in the race... (laughs) In the racetracks, traditionally, during the game, uh, when you're in the game mode, they have kind of these cushioned edges on the maps, so kind of like if you're bowling, you put the rails up. So if you can bounce a bowling ball against the rails, you're not going to get a gutter ball. But my God, sudden death, you just gutter balled ourselves immediately, didn't we? I think I flew straight off the track from the literal starting point. Yeah, and then we let the bots win. 
<laughs> yeah, the bot won the first game because we just decided to careen it straight out of the area. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yet it was perfect. It was like a perfect encapsulation of the kind of ridiculous, chaotic, messy fun that these kind of games bring. Yeah. Um, and they've channeled it like incredibly well. Like it was just such a laugh to play this game. Yeah, there's just like it's hard to just kind of say that it's a kart racer that's from the top down because they've really kind of, you know, there's there's more modes to it. Um, and it feels like a really robust racing game uh, and a really robust party game that like it's going to be a lot of fun to play. And there's, yeah, so there is a few more modes. Uh, the other mode that we played was chaos mode. Um, so you are designing the track, but on top of that, you are designing where these power-ups go and where the traps go in the meantime. Um, and the traps can be something like uh, making the part of the racetrack icy, or putting tires on the ground that make you go in a certain direction, like fling you away, or like massive hammers that will smack you off the map. Um, and that is where the kind of chicken horse reference comes from, is kind of like you can be as devious as you want with the racetrack or as kind as you want um, to kind of get yourself through the, through the other end of it. And uh, we had a really hard time with that in the end because we were just being bastards to each other. <laughs> We really were. Like, we were just unnecessarily savage for, like, no apparent reason other than just because. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, oh, it was it was a lot of fun, though. I think that was the one, the one that we laughed the most at. Um, I don't think we played many laughing games. We played very good games overall all weekend. Um, yes. But this one had us hooping and hollering. Yes, we were having a very good time and I very much enjoyed going all the way back to the beginning of the track by the time we got to the last round so that I could put the trap right in front of the starting point. And the <laughs> fact that the game let me do that yeah. was hilarious and awful because I'm the one who stacked it straight off from that trap. <laughs> yeah, don't bite the hand that feeds. Yeah, um, I, I bit the whole hand. Yeah, uh, there was another one there called Lodonot, which is essentially like an underwater to a cleaning like eco-friendly cleaning game where you're this sort of uh like they're not astronauts are they that the, he looked like an astronaut but in 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 a deep sea kind of cleaning up the mess like from... a cute big daddy <laughs> yeah kind of like that um yeah it's like an eco-conscious like you're cleaning up the uh, the sea uh kind of reminded me of like under the waves where it had these moments where you kind of pick up the garbage from from the sea that has been left behind or kind of just getting rid of the oil that's left behind through human um, uh, human influence. Um, we didn't really get to play that because there was so many people that were trying to play on that. Um, but we did have a good gander and that looks really cool, really cute. Uh, and I, it's got a nice message to it. I saw a lot of young people playing it. Um, it looked really like accessible for all audiences um, and that looked really fun to play. Um, and then we played something that we, and another one at Secret Mode that we didn't expect to have so much fun with. Um, and that was uh, Stampede Racing Royale. Uh, we both played like a, a session of Battle Royale, shall we say, um, each. Yeah. Um, it, it's another kart racer. This time it's more influenced by, I'd say, Mario Kart. Um, so you start off with 60 people in the race um to qualify to the next round you've got to do uh you've got to be in the top 40 uh to qualify 
qualify in the next round, you've got to be in the top 20. And in the third round, you've got to win it to kind of basically take the trophy home. Um, yes, and and that's essentially it. It felt like a really good game to play, like really fun to drive. Um, the drifting is very similar to Mario Kart. So you've got the right trigger where you put it down and you're kind of drifting across the corners and that kind of builds up the momentum for a boost. Um I didn't really uh, gel with the pickups as much. I thought they were a little bit on the weaker side. They kind of had very, very generic uh, attacks or it was just a boost or something like that. They were just a bit bland as well, weren't they? Like just the standard ones you would expect to see. There wasn't a lot of flair. For a game that had a lot of flair in its maps and its character customization, which I absolutely adored. I'm such a sucker for character customization. There was so much to choose from and they had really cool designs. The attacks, the the pickups were kind of like the weaker point of it. Um, but that was it was really a really fun game to play, played really well. What's um, funny about the customization thing is you said there's so many options, and yet as you were scrolling through, I was like, there's only one option here Josh is going to pick. And you scrolled straight <laughs> over and you were like, that one, I want to look like that. And I was like, of course he wants to. He wants to be the dead Mao looking like <laughs> slick cyberpunky kind of dude. And uh, yeah, yeah. You, you have a certain style. Yeah, with the fire on the cart. Um, I saw people around me starting up a match and going straight into the lobby as they were. And I was like, no, I'm heading straight to the customization options <laughs> and I'm having a look. And um, all of it wasn't unlocked, but it looked like there was a lot to unlock, um, which is great for someone like me. Um, yeah. And that was one where I, we had a lot of fun with that one too. Um, and, you know, Miles is a self-confessed battle royale hater and a racing driver unenjoyer or non-enjoyer however you would say that (laughs) disliker basically all the things i hate in one game (laughs) yeah but you had a great time too didn't you i did i actually had a lot of fun and at a grudge match there was a a lady on the booth next to me and we were basically in the same um like racing royale match and she beat me both times i came second to her in the first two rounds and then i completely and utterly fucked it in the last one tonight it just went so wrong in the final round i i don't even know how what happened <laughs> honestly I just stacked it into a wall just went straight over a jump and stacked it into the wall and that ruined yeah. the whole thing yeah i did that in one of my rounds as well where i kind of just hit a pole didn't know what break which one was reverse um and i didn't end up having a good result i, I still made it and in the end, I did win overall. So you did. Um, I am you are the, the real. I am the, yeah, I am the undefeated champ right now at Stampede Racing Royale. Don't at me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we really enjoyed those games at Secret Mode. They were really fun to play. Um, I want to say there's like a play test on Steam for Stampede Racing Royale right now. Um, I don't know how long that's going to last. If it still is when we're kind of posting this podcast, but. If you can get your hands on it, definitely give it a check. Uh, check it out because um, it is good fun. I definitely know we were playing with real humans um, when we were there. That wasn't just at EGX because there was like sixty-player lobby. I <clears> hope <throat> they were real, anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, I do too because my defeat means nothing if, uh, or my win means nothing if uh, if I just played against bots. Yeah, um, it would be quite painful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we did the thing that we said we weren't going to do, which was queue for a while. Um, my God, there were, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm glad personally that there was a lot more to enjoy on the indie side of things at EGX um, because it meant that 
there was so much on up to offer that kind of spread the players out a little bit more so everyone can try out the games and not wait too long. But there was a few big games there. Uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 was a big one. Persona 3 Reload was a big one. Persona 5 Tactics was a big one. Uh, Sonic Superstars was like the, the biggest one, I'd say. Um, and then there was another one from Ubisoft, which was Prince of Persia. Um, this is a new Prince of Persia. It's like a 2D Metroidvania. Um, Greg checked it out at WASD, um, and he basically likened it to Metroid Dread in, it, in the kind of combat. It's very fast-paced, um, a lot of back and forth, a lot of traversal uh, mechanics that kind of make sure that you that are very fast-paced so you don't hit traps and stuff like that. Um, yeah, so outside of the queue, where we probably watched people play 20 minutes of uh, by the time he got to us, we probably played about five minutes each. <laughs> so if that, if that, I'm convinced yeah. we didn't even get five minutes each. Yeah, and I think this is a case of kind of the queue started getting bigger, so the demo times started getting shorter for people, um, which you can't blame. Like everyone wants to try the game. There's only a certain amount of hours in the day, um, so I personally don't think I could give too many impressions on Prince of Persia, other than it ran really smooth because we played the Switch version and it it ran very smooth. It looked pretty decent for a Switch game. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the parry mechanic for the enemies. Uh, and there was a nice little time, <coughs> excuse me, uh, a nice little kind of like time gel that you I smashed that kind of changed the environment. So I had different platforms to jump across. Um, so I'm excited to kind of see what happens with that. Um, you've still got your sort of like reverse time, but now it's kind of like more of a planned reverse time. It's not like, say, um, you're trying to do a platforming challenge and you mess it up. So before you die, you kind of save yourself by pressing the reverse. You have a plan, so you kind of set up your reverse mark where you're going to end up back playing if you kind of go back to it again. Um, I didn't find any use for it at that time but that's because we had a small time of uh, playing it. But it is a nice, it's like a nice, like we re we recognize what the, what the mechanic is from the older games, but it's yeah. done in a new fresh style. Um, what did you find about the game, Miles? Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, we didn't really get enough time to really properly appreciate it, but I think the one thing that stood out is that it's going to sound really obvious, but it felt like a Prince of Persia game. I think when the trailer was announced, people had a bit of backlash towards it and it was a little bit controversial because of the change in the Prince himself and all that kind of thing. But what kind of stood out for me is the kind of animation effects are all, they feel like they've been ripped from the older games, but have been modernized and just made more fluid. Um, and it just it just made sense. It felt like I was just playing an extension of a series that we know. And when a series has been out for so long, the fact that they have managed to recapture that in a different style is, I think, really good. So I think that was what stood out for me. The combat was surprisingly challenging. I genuinely thought going into it that it was not going to be a very hard game. And the first set of enemies kicked my ass. Like I went first, obviously, and <laughs> I got absolutely spanked the first two times I went up against the regular enemies. Um, so I think it's going to be a much more kind of rewarding experience um, than I was maybe giving it credit for. 
Um, we did notice kind of up close it wasn't quite as nice looking, but this is obviously running on the Switch version, which is now, you know, six years old or whatever in terms of the hardware. So you can imagine that the performance and the graphics will probably look a little bit nicer on the, the current gen consoles. Um, and the demo build as well, might might add that, you know, we're playing a game that's still not, still coming out like next year. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we, we were running an earlier build, basically. So stuff like that is very, like, end of the line sort of adjustments. So it, I, I imagine it's going to look pretty. Yeah, it definitely will. Um, but, yeah, I think just the feel of the game, the fluidity of the animation felt really nice. I think um, figuring out, like, the timings for the parries and, like you said, the kind of flair that it has with the kind of mechanics it's got, it, it made a good impression. I just think we were a bit kind of underchanged in the fact that I think we'd have been even more positive on it if we'd have had the chance to really sink our teeth in for a good 10, 15 minutes or whatever. Um so yeah, from what I've what we've played, the very brief time we had on it, I was suitably impressed more than I expected to be. Um, and I think people can look forward to this one as I think it's going to be a a good game. I think it's going to be a good, enjoyable time. So nice to see Prince of Persia back and looking in a good good state. Yeah, so as far as we know, uh Prince of Persia comes out January 18th next year. Um Mars. January might be a little bit more of a quiet month. I feel like February's jam-packed. Yes. Um, January, there's going to be a little bit of a lull outside of Prince of Persia, potentially. Mm-hmm. We, I yeah. still don't know. I'll, we'll probably find ourselves busy regardless. Um, but for a, a personal game, will Prince of Persia be something that you're going to pick up? Um, it's a tougher one for me because it's not typically my style of game. Um, mm. But I think from what we've played, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be against picking up. It might be one of those where if I have caught up on stuff a little bit and, you know, it comes out, I would definitely give it a good thought as to whether I'm going to buy it or not, which for someone who, when the initial trailer was shown off, I was almost just not particularly interested. It just wasn't my style of game and whatnot. Um, The fact that I am even, you know, tempted to purchase it probably tells you, you know, the state that the game's in is a good one. Um, I think if you're a fan of Prince of Persia or if you like kind of 2.5D kind of side-scrolling action games, I think this might be a no-brainer for January, given, like you said, January's a lot quieter before we get hit with all the mega stuff in February. Yeah, I think it it is a through-and-through Metroidvania game. We were coming across a lot of places, a lot of secrets that were definitely not doable in the demo because they came from powers that probably pertain in the future part of the game. Um, So yes, it's like an out-and-out Metroidvania action 2D platformer game. Um, So with that, all those buzzwords, that's pretty much like a a sell for me. I was obviously a Prince of Persia fan back in the day. Uh, So I think uh, if I do have the time, it's going to be one I'm I'm picking up, absolutely. Um, And I hope I've got the time. Because that, you know, I do want to play that and see what the whole game is going to be like. Um, so whilst we're at another conversation talking about Ubisoft, um, there's more Ubisoft coming from us. Uh, we got to talk to the animation director at Ubisoft, who was recently behind um, the recent released Assassin's Creed Mirage. Uh, his name is Benjamin Potts. Um Yeah, so in the interview, Miles got to talk more about the animation side of Assassin's Creed Mirage uh, and the 
the world that uh, is inhabited in the game and kind of everything basically to do with that. Um, so yeah, without further ado, this is our interview with Benjamin Potts. So yeah, first of all, thanks for just meeting us and taking the time to talk to us. Um, we just wanted to ask a bit around kind of like the general stuff first. So like, was there any kind of inspiration around making Basim's story kind of a like a standalone expansion or exploring him as a character? Um, yeah, I mean, we had lots of uh, lots of discussions, lots of um, considerations to make when when we kind of made that call. Um, in terms of a character, Basim himself, we we'd seen him in Valhalla, right? So there's some yeah. some previous knowledge or whatever. We we knew he was going to become a master assassin. Um, we also know where he came from. He was from Baghdad. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we kind of had a kind of semi blank canvas there to work with. We had some details, but we knew where he came from. We knew where he's going. So it's kind of it made sense, kind of made, made sense. Yeah. And also he's an interesting character. There were some other bits of, uh, of his past that needed and could have been explored. We sort of touch on that in the game a bit as well. So yeah, yeah. there was lots of, lots of food to thought, uh, Thought for food. Hang on, is that right? Yeah. Food for thought? Yeah, that one. You know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, because the reason I asked is because I quite liked Basim's character. Yeah. Um, and I like how his upbringing or like early life kind of leads into naturally him becoming an assassin. So I thought that was a cool kind of link. Mm. Um, and then we kind of thought one of the guys is a big fan of Assassin's Creed. Well, we all are really, but um, he was kind of asking around. It's kind of a mix of kind of old and new Assassin's Creed in terms of like mechanics and feel. Um, and he was interested in, as an animator, did you find yourself kind of pulling from the classic games in terms of Basim's movement or finding like a middle ground between the two or did it come quite naturally? Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, definitely been a bit of a dance between, you know, trying to find the right balance of everything. Um, certainly from my perspective as a director and technically within an animation team, you know, one, one thing is, is we, well, we were a DLC. We very quickly became a standalone. Within that context, we have, you know, um, a certain amount we can and we can't do. So, you know, that's more to do with um, budgeting and stuff like that on boring things. But in terms of animation um, itself, um, yeah, I mean, we, we pulled from the past drastically. You know, we looked at, looked at posing, we looked at positioning, body behaviors, you know, lots of stuff. How can we bring what we see in Altair and Ezio and uh, the other earlier assassins, let's say, how can we push that into Basim, given the fact that we're in a Valhalla engine? You yeah. know, so we we really try to mix all of that together, um, uh, and hopefully, uh, you know, everybody's happy in that way because uh, again, you know, the community not split, I would say, but you know, some people prefer, let's say, the the Odysseys, the Origins, the Valhallas, mm -hmm. compared to those who prefer the original OG, as we used to call them in the studio, Assassin's Creed. So. We needed to find a find a find a balance between the two. Yeah, because it was one of the areas I wondered how you were going to kind of approach that, whether it was going to be strictly back to roots or you were going to kind of incorporate some of the newer stuff. But it was quite interesting seeing how you managed to blend it together, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, you pick you you have to prioritize as well. You can't change everything overnight. You know that's never going to happen. So what's important? What's important to the game? What's important for the players? Um, what do we invest time and money in? Um, for us, we had. Uh, our core pillars, as it were, of development were stealth, um, assassinations and parkour. And those three things, you know, were always being, we reminded ourselves of, you know, what are you doing here? Is it beneficial to this pillar, this pillar or this pillar? And if, you know, so it's always, I mean, it's a dance again, you know, balancing some out. people want more of one thing, but in reality, 
you know, does that really change the, the feeling, the nostalgia, which again is a really powerful thing that mm -hmm. we wanted to play on, which is anyone could pick up the game and enjoy it, but those who are used to the original games could pick it up and hopefully they'll be thinking, oh wow, you know, this is like AC1, you know, or, or I, I remember doing this kind of stuff you know, back in the day in 2007, you know, so that was a big goal of us is uh, tapping into that feeling, as you said. It definitely worked because I think I, I myself and um, our other uh, editor, Roscoe, um, we like instantly said it felt like we were transported back to like playing AC1 again. <laughs> um, and that for me, that was a really nice feeling because I remember playing AC1 for the first time and being kind of blown away of like the world and how it worked. Um, yeah. And that was like kind of the next thing really of in terms of there's been a lot of praise in terms of the recreation of Baghdad in particular. Um, and we just kind of wondered if there was any kind of specific kind of work you did in terms of animations or in terms of how you created the kind of characters in the world to kind of reflect the culture and the kind of time period. Um, yeah, I mean, we, there's, there's lots of stuff um, all over the game in animation that sometimes uh, players and people don't see actually quite so obviously as the player you know I, I if i was to use one particular example is probably gestures actually mm -hmm. you'll see people in the street um using you know culturally correct gesturing for for people of that time in the, in that world you know, arabic gestures muslim you know but we we had to do the research right you know yeah. how do how do people greet each other they sort of make a pat on your chest or you know and say yeah. bow the head and you know so which aren't things that we do really in Western culture, right? Yeah. Um, so it's just little nuances like that that you'll see happening all over the game. Um, that took some research for sure. Um, uh, we're lucky we had a, an amazing team of authenticity uh, and historians and uh, cultural experts to, to work with. Um, so they gave us great insight into, you know, how we could craft things. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely like makes a difference. I know from like the time I spent with the game, like it just felt like a very lively kind of place and like a really kind of brought to life kind of world. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the art teams in particular, and I will mention him, um, Jean-Luc Salah, um, and, uh, um, Salome and Simon Arsenal, the, the world director, you know, really, really f had this need to make that world work you know make that ba make baghdad a, a character within itself you know it's um you can go around different streets and find activities you can find collectibles you can find things but not only that around you you're surrounded by the people of baghdad doing their everything and every day and and we wanted to also celebrate baghdad um for the city it was then you know because it's a it was a hugely important part of the, you know, the, the, the world at that time, you know, for trade, for, for mixing cultures, for technology, for science, for literature, for everything. You know, it was a fantastic place. So, you know, let's, let's make it that. Let's celebrate that. And yeah, definitely comes across like just from the time I spent with the game. And, um, I guess as a side note as well, I really like the codex things. I know since mm. kind of origins in particular, you've really kind of honed in on like showing the history of places and explaining yeah. that. I just wonder what the motivation was behind wanting to provide a lot of that history. Cause I think although the originals had some of that, mm. I think it's been kind of doubled down on almost, I guess. Yeah. I, I think, um, Ubisoft, uh, in general, uh, well, certainly Assassin's Creed, you know, it places its games in, in historically important time periods, right? So everyone can learn from that and benefit from that. And I think that's been shown in the previous, um, discovery tours, for example, which have been hugely successful, even on an educational level, yeah. you know, but it, uh, even for me, you know, I play some of the, 
or I play through the game and I'll find a historical point that I haven't picked up before and, and I'll just sit there and read it because I, you know, you just, you feel more um, involved and immersed even into that world at that time. Um, so yeah, I, I think um, Assassin's Creed is, is good at doing that. You know, it grounds everything that you're playing in the game as well. You know, yeah. it gives a wider context about what, what you're involved in, um, which I think is really important. Yeah, I like the nice little touches of it would explain like a bit about like you'd pick up a codex and it would explain about like trade at the time or yeah. how the currency works and that kind of thing. And there were times where I don't normally tend to stop and read stuff in games, but I was kind of picking it up and I was like, I'm actually kind of intrigued how that works. Yeah. So that was actually well, really nice. I think I think it's um, been really um, fantastic and we've had some really nice comments from fans and people even today at EGX, um, you know, saying how we've represented Baghdad. Because, you know, it hasn't been seen as the most positive environment in the last, you know, 10, yeah. 20 years. Let's face it, you know, we, we see it in a certain light. Whereas actually, it, it's a, it was an amazing, and I'm sure in certain ways it still is an amazing culture and an amazing place, people, everything, you know. And so we wanted to celebrate that as well, bring it to the forefront and sort of say, hey, but like, look at this place. They were, they were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were one of the, if not the first place to make ice cream. Oh, wow. <laughs> did, I mean, uh, did anyone know that? I you didn't know, know that, it, to be it, fair. You know, which is, which is completely bananas, considering it's a, 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 a desert location. <laughs> so, you know, and, and things like that, you, you know, which um, we all learn in the process of making the game, which again makes us more invested in the game. And yeah. hopefully, obviously, you as players and people can feel that as well. You know, it kind of and everything we do yeah it definitely translated through just yeah like i said from me playing it but um i've only got a couple more i won't keep it too much longer that's okay um, good i was interested in how you approach creating the kind of realistic kind of animations for things like the parkour alongside making it kind of functional um because obviously you've got to try and make the parkour fun to play but also make it look the part as well mm. So I wondered how you, do you have to like make the mechanic first and then do the animation or did you do it the other way around? How did you kind of approach that? That's a very good question. Um, well, the, the way I would probably answer that is that you, you, if we talk about parkour specifically, um, parkour is only as good as the world it exists in. Yeah. Um, animation systems can be built in certain ways, but they're intrinsically very, very, very expensive to create. So you, you again, it's a balance, right? You, in order to create the moves you want to do, you need guidance and metrics. Uh, so, you know, we need the right spaces, distances, da, da, da. So, and that's what gives the world its guidelines. And then it's over to the creative teams in the world and level designers and artists to create that world with those metrics in mind. Otherwise, you know, animation won't work or at least or it won't feel good. It won't feel right, you know, and there's tricks that we can do. To sort of help it on the on the edges, mm -hmm. as it were, um, which which every game does, and we do also. Um, so yeah, again, it's a it's a real combination of uh, one and the other. Which which one we do first? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I I even know that. You know, you kind of it's just, it's very much a collaborative thing. You know, it's like okay, we're making a building. We know that Basim is 180 centimeters tall. Mm -hmm. All right, we need buildings. They're going to be like this. You know, cool. Okay, so how do we m m create that uh, system for, for the, that park or whatever that is to work? Yeah. But we work with designers. We work with the world team. We, you know, it's hugely collaborative. Coders never forget code. They <laughs> yeah. sort of seem to do all the magic. You know, so make it come together. Kind yeah, of thing. exactly. Yeah. 
yeah, I've always been impressed at how you managed to just make the place look so good, but also make it play well at the same time. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a real, uh, it's a very, very collaborative process, and and it takes a long time, you know, and a lot of coordination. So sounds like a bit of an art form. <laughs> yeah. um, and you kind of touched on it, but I wondered if there were any tricks that you used to help kind of work around what the player can see versus because the world looks so alive there's so many npcs all doing animations and doing things i wonder if there are just any tricks that you use to help make it run well without the player noticing hmm uh i you, you know what that all of those kind of tricks really are on um, optimization of the game itself you know um we had a lot of considerations to make in in baghdad okay so you've got a graphically you've got a lot in a smaller space because we're based in a city mm -hmm. so of course um, one of the things that we need to be careful of is the density of popular of animation so of course you know you ha you can almost switch on and off people if they're not within the vision of, of your camera you know such like that but in general you know what the the work is done on the code side the engineers the the game engineers and programmers do such an amazing job on kind of finding ways to optimize so the game keeps running at a good speed um, with everything in front of it you know you you see the textures you see the plants you see the colors you see the ingredients the people the animation it all adds up to this kind of memory base um complex. so yeah very very complex but um a, a lot of the way that is dealt with is dealt with engineers and the uh programmers who do you know fantastic jobs you know they they are real geniuses of of maths and code which is not where my brain exists <laughs> not <laughs> your forte on that one no yeah some other people can do that more clever than 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 me so Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I was just impressed on one of the things. I cleared out like an area of guards. I wasn't playing very stealthy. And um, I went off somewhere else to do something, came back, and all the bodies were still strewn around, but new guards had arrived to like take the place kind of thing. And I was yeah. like, how is the game remembering like what I've done like 10, 15 minutes ago and still managing to render that when I've been completely away from the area? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's. I guess it's for all games really at the moment, you know, the, the development of AI and technology in terms of controlling NPCs and other people and, and the game being able to understand and read the movements and players' actions and then be able to make the code, be able to make decisions on what the AI do based upon that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's mind blowing, right? And, uh, yeah, kind of um, blew me away, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the last thing I really wanted to ask is just in terms of, as you were kind of making this game, was there any kind of hope for what you wanted players to experience? Or was there a kind of, I guess, an aim of creating this kind of smaller scale one city in terms of what you wanted players to feel about it? Um, I, I think really uh, it was this notion of celebration, actually. You know, I, I mentioned that before. It's been created as part of the kind of 15 years of Assassin's Creed. So that's... That's one thing. Um, we as developers in, in Bordeaux are a really passionate bunch um, for, for Assassin's Creed and we really wanted to do the, the right thing. It was a huge opportunity for us. Um, so yeah, we just went at it. You know, it was always a case of like, what's best for the game? What, what do we, you know, remaining on those pillars that we'd set out for ourselves, you know, our mantra of stealth assassination, you know, parkour, like keep going on that, going on that, going on that. And, mm -hmm. And then there's the authenticity. So, so really, you know, what what did we want players to feel? I just happy to play our game, to be honest with <laughs> you. You know, that's that's the end hope. You just do your 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 very best with everything you've 
do. Um, I talk about feeling a lot. That's one thing. I think that's been important. No, because we can't reinvent everything. But what we did want people to do is play the game and go, do you know what? This feels like, I, I feel like an assassin now. And I've got all the tools in front of me um, that enable me to do that. You can go in fighting with sword and dagger if you want. And there's, uh, you know, if you play well on in fight, you can actually do an awful lot. You know, you very skilled players we have uh, in, in our studio. But actually, we're, we're encouraging you and saying, we want you to feel like an assassin. That, that's what we wanted to do. So, yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess also, they're going to be, I know you might not be able to answer this, it's a bit of a cheeky one, but are there any more kind of projects, I guess, that are going to be a bit more smaller scale, like Mirage, in terms of that? format again i can't you know obviously tell you what, what yeah. anything about <laughs> what we're doing but you know what i could say is yeah yeah we we listen to everybody out there the community the fans the you know and and who knows what the future will bring you know uh ubisoft globally listens to everyone all the time um and you know things are being discussed there's lots of stuff on the table um what i could say is Infinity is coming, mm -hmm. and that's going to be like a game hub, as it were, for, for all of our Assassin's games. And one of the ideas behind that is it actually will allow us to create, you know, different experiences for, for the brand and not just sort of flagships. And, you know, there's other stuff coming out, right? So, yeah. So who knows what the future will hold? Um, Absolutely. Because I think you touched on it kind of at the start of this kind of like community, like the old school kind of more, I guess, slightly more linear versions. Um, and then there's hmm. the kind of newer ones, which are much more kind of open, kind of bigger yeah. games. Um, so it's nice that everyone's kind of being catered to a little bit now, it kind of feels yeah. like. And we all get to have our individual It's a huge, huge fan base, right? I mean, it's a massive IP. You, you, and, and we, we want to keep keep people together. We're all in the same assassin family, right? Yeah, so, absolutely. So, you know, it's kind of like, a, like, how do we do that? We, you know, and we're open to, you know, the, whatever the future brings. I don't know. So Amazing. Well, thank you very much. Did you have anything you want to ask? Perfect. Thank you so much for answering our no questions. Worries. Really appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you very much. It's been great. All right. So that was Benjamin Potts. Thank you very much for your time. Um, the animation director at Ubisoft behind Assassin's Creed Mirage. Um, I know there's a lot of people at Finger Guns that are really enjoying Assassin's Creed Mirage, like yourself, Miles. Um, yeah. Sean must be lapping it up right now. He's got an old school <laughs> Assassin's Creed to get his hands on. And uh, Ross is definitely enjoying it because of our conversation last week on the podcast where we had uh, we had our, his impressions of it and we kind of talked more about the um, the smaller scale um, games that are coming out that are AAA, kind of like AC Mirage recently and Spider-Man. So. Um, yeah, if you want to hear more about uh, our impressions of Assassin's Creed Mirage, you can check out last week's episode where we had a really good uh, conversation with my, uh, with Ross. Um, so yeah, after that, we moved on over to Humble Games, right? We did indeed. Yeah, uh, we got to speak to James over there and uh, we checked out a couple of the games. One of them had a massive queue. It was Bo. Um Oh, the the hyphen for that game always goes past me, but it's uh, uh, it is Path of the Teal, right? That's Bow, the one. I think so. Path yeah. of the Teal, Path of Bow, Path of the Teal Lotus. Um, that was that is a hand drawn two D Metroidvania. It looks very kind of like inspired by Hollow Knight, but also has a like some Japanese folklore inspired animation. Um, so that looked really fun. We didn't really talk too much about that with James. 
Um, but what we did talk about, um, which I think was another surprise for you, Miles. I know, right? I was surprised um, the whole bloody weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, there is a level of kind of some blissful ignorance when we're so bogged down with the games that we check out every month. Mm-hmm. Um we kind of don't look too far ahead with the games. We're really just bogged down with the ones that are right in front of us. Yeah, um, yeah. So to get to check out some of these games that are coming up in the future, like it was really fun to uh, to uh, experience them and kind of get to know some of the games that we might miss uh, had we not checked them out at EGX. Um, one of which was, uh, it was a game that went viral on TikTok for this demo. Um, and it is a game called Billy Bust Up which feels like, or it doesn't feel like it is, and it feels like uh, one of those traditional 3D platformers with uh, the kind of iconic sort of um, mascot character. Um, and yeah, Miles, do you want to talk more about it? I think you you had hands-on with the demo. Um, yeah. What were your impressions with it? Uh, yeah, really good. Um, I think for most of my time, obviously you're on the, the kind of floor room i don't know what to call it but you're in like the big open space there's lots of people milling around and you are i think we touched on this previously or in our uh, failed attempt yesterday um that obviously you've got people around you kind of looking over watching your gameplay and the only time i really felt self-conscious playing a game was playing this one um because i just had a smile on my face the entire time so billy bust up is like this really cool like mixture of 90s kind of platformer like banjo kazooie um but it's got like musical elements to it and again this should have been a game where i was instantly like hell no this is not in my wheelhouse whatsoever um but when you're at egx you just want to try stuff and give it a go and i booted it up straight away the main character billy is really kind of charming quirky quite funny um the dialogue is very kind of like it's aimed towards that children could play it and appreciate it and um and have fun with it but it's got like layers of kind of humor kind of rolled into that um which you'll only really get if you're a bit older kind of thing um the platforming itself so the first part of the demo was just like a bit of exploration around the environment which is very nicely made it's kind of like old school kind of like fairy tale kind of animation um and you go around the environment, you can collect some, like, I don't know if they were, like, coins or just collectibles. It didn't really say. Um, but the platforming itself felt very kind of expected, kind of typical platforming. It felt solid to control. Um, and you just got to get your timings right. I fell off a platform a couple of times, but that was through me being stupid and impatient. Um, and then the real meat of the demo kicks in when you come across a character or the villain of this section of the story. Um and basically it starts chasing you in like a crash bandicoot kind of way. So, you know, like when the boulders kind of behind you, you're running towards the camera um, and it then kicks into this musical thing. So the villain is like singing a song about all the ways it's going to try and kill you. Um, and it was a real earworm. Like I was humming it along. I laughed out loud a good two or three times during the course of this chase Um and at some point, I even found myself like singing along in my head, trying not to do it out loud. Um, and it was just super entertaining. And the actual platforming gets really challenging in that section. So at one point, you're kind of having to avoid pits of lava. Um, there's like electric currents kind of running along the floor that are in time with the music. So you have to time your jumps while also making sure that you don't hit the lava. 
then enemies drop in there's like a cage that you get stuck in with a bunch of enemies and the electricity um it gets really chaotic but it makes sense and because of the way it's been merged with the music you can kind of figure out how to survive by using the timing of the song itself and that's not like a conscious thing you have to do it just comes like naturally as you're playing um so I was just having a great time. I genuinely was sat with like trying desperately not to have this giant grin on my face because otherwise I would have been like super embarrassed by all the people watching me play this game. Um, and one of the things that I really liked that they did was I died at one point towards the end of the chase section. Um, and then when I went back to the checkpoint, effectively at certain points of the chase, um, the camera angle would switch. So it would like flip it upside down or it would go sideways. And... I turn around to Josh because this time around I was like, it wasn't upside down last time. Why has it gone upside down this time? Thinking that, you know, I'd either forgotten or it was a glitch. Nope. Spoke to James and he was like, yep, we purposely have altered it so that it will always be a different, you know, orientation or a different perspective each time. So if you die and then replay it, you're going to get a different orientation. So you can't just muscle memory it. Um, which I thought is a really wonderfully masochistic, horrible thing to do, but also in a brilliant way. Um, yeah. The control scheme initially kind of caught me out with that because I didn't know if you just held the stick in the same direction or whether you had to adjust for the camera angle. You don't have to adjust. You can just hold it, which I think is the better option. Um, and everything about the game just feels, again, we've touched on this, like fun. Like these are games made to be enjoyable. They're made to be entertaining. And Billy Bust Up was genuinely one of those that I played and I just came off it with this massive smile on my face and the biggest villain of the entire thing was the fact that I couldn't get the song out of my head for like hours afterwards. And James also lovingly said that it is also on Spotify, so it's probably going to ruin my life for the next you know week or month. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, you were, you were, I don't know if you know you were doing this, but you were actually bobbing your head to the song whilst you were playing. Yeah, yeah, I just feel it. I was like, stop it. I was like, I can't stop it. I've just got to embrace it now. I've just got to go with it. <laughs> yeah, so that was a lot of fun to to watch you play. Um, and I think we had like a little discussion that um, 3D platformers, especially like mascot platformers, they are so hard to get right. Um, yeah. They could have all the charm in the world from the style in the world, but if it doesn't play like a really succinct 3D platformer, then um, it it just doesn't work for for audiences. But um, it sounds like it plays absolutely wonderful and it's going to be a smash hit. It really is. I think um, the fact that it's already gone viral on TikTok once from this one song, this one chunk of the demo, you know, when this game finally hits, I think they said there's going to be 13 songs in total that have been oh, like wow. licensed and produced for this. Yeah. Um, that's not even including, I'm imagining just the regular kind of game soundtrack behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's so much potential for this game to really kind of, you know, hit the social media and people are going to appreciate it. So yeah, really cool art style, cool old school kind of nostalgic gameplay and just some really creative and fun ways that they're merging the gameplay with the music itself. Um, I never thought that I'd be writing up a spotlight piece for a musical game, but Billy Bust Up somehow has managed to make that happen. So if that's not a ringing indictment, I don't know what is. Yeah, and um, there was a, a person who might have even played the demo early or was someone that was on the wave of the viral TikTok moment, um, but they spoke to the developer and was like, um, so I think I played the demo earlier and the lyrics changed because I died. 
Yeah. Is that something that is actually in the game? So I assume, like, I don't know if you experienced this, but it sounds like what you do in the game kind of uh, uh, influences the lyrics as well uh, to the song. So it's not always the exact same song. I, I Don't quote me on that. That's something I was like kind of earwigging whilst I was watching Miles play. Um, but that's just another cool element if that is a thing. Yeah, 100%. Um, uh, and then around the corner, we had uh, a really cool kind of Zelda-inspired top-down and a like two D hand drawn game uh, called Hashtag Blood. Um, James summed it up as the inspiration for the game was uh, Powerpuff Girls meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer, um, which is an absolute pitch perfect pitch. Like you can't, do you know I mean, there's those two properties you can't sum up the best without having like with the animation behind it just sounding so cool. Um, so hashtag blood is from um, exit 73 studios. Um, yeah. Exit 73 studios. And they are initially an animation studio. So they're in cartoons. Um, I think James was saying how they have come from doing animation for Nick Nickelodeon um, and other, other channels. Um, and they have now moved on to make their first game ever. Um, and I had a really good time with it. Uh, it is it is like a dungeon crawler meets kind of like, uh, I don't want to say a social sim, but there is a social aspect to it where there's a lot of characters in the neighborhood that you can befriend. Um, you have a social media feed that you can take selfies on and have significant selfies come up on your feed. Um, and there are puzzles in the dungeons that... Um, might have clues to future puzzles in the game where if you take photos, you could re- reference them and, and back and forth. And I thought that was a really cool mechanic as well. Um, and yeah, it played, it played well. It was very like Zelda, old school Zelda inspired where you kind of the, you get into a room and then it has that fixed camera angle. So it kind of like zooms up a little bit, centers the dungeon area. And then you kind of hit these uh, enemies with the, um, with your hockey stick. Uh, and yeah, it's basically uh, what it is, is you play as, uh, uh, what's her name? It's Becky, Becky Brewster. You play as Becky Brewster uh, and there are zombies taking over your neighborhood and you've got to fight off uh, an impending apocalypse for vampires. Um, and it really had this kind of, cool 90s cartoons inspired like vibe to it um i really enjoyed sort of the comedy that they used um i think it's a comedy that really comes from cartoonists where it's very like um out it's very like over the top but very like not yeah over the top but in not not like a reductive way it's like over the top where they know exactly where to kind of pitch that comedy to be out there but also hilarious for anybody that you can't you know you can't say oh no that's not funny it, it, it is hilarious kind of the talking is all like uh, peanuts where they're all like burp, 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 burp. um and there's just over the top animations for the characters when they're talking um and yeah there's just so much love poured into the character designs and the areas and the enemies and um for this to be, be like an animation studio's first game I am absolutely delighted to kind of check out further on hashtag blood. Yeah, it looks like a really cool game, doesn't it? And like even just chatting to James about it, he was really just excited for this one. Um, he was excited for Billy Bust Up, but I think hashtag blood as well is just 
it just looks so phenomenal. Like I just really enjoyed watching you play and watching the faces animate, even though I couldn't hear it or like experience it. Um, the way the faces animated, it, it felt like I was watching Fairly Old Parents again, which you know is a really nice thing to have. It's like this really nostalgic like cartoon playing out in front of you as a video game. Um, yeah, it just looks wicked as as a concept. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that was kind of it for day two in terms of like all the big things that we checked out and all the indies that we checked out. Um, overall, Miles, how did you find EGX? Your first EGX as press, might I add? It was uh, it was wicked. Um, I think we were both kind of like nervous, kind of didn't know what to expect, kind of a, like obviously a lot of excitement. But, you know, when we got in there and we sat down at Robobeat and you know, I got the chance to properly play a game at EGX on the show floor. Like, it was just really cool. It was a really fun experience. And getting to do the Ubisoft interview as well was just like a wonderful opportunity, um, especially because I've been playing Mirage. I'm going to talk about it on the pod this week. Um, so to have the chance to do that kind of thing, meet the kind of people who make the games that, you know, we fall in love with, it's just really awesome um and it was nice to kind of talk to people involved in the active development who pour in a lot of the passion a lot of the heart a lot of the the love of these games and see that side of it because as reviewers we obviously see a lot of the side of we have to look at what works in the game and what doesn't and what we like and what we don't like and it was nice for once to just go and just appreciate games i didn't really feel like i had to have like a critical mind on i just got to sit down have a go at something for 15 minutes and then come away like did i love that and whatever um yeah obviously getting to sam lake amazing like so many cool opportunities um yeah i had a great time i'm really really happy that we did it and yeah just thanks to egx for having us and thanks to all the people who spoke to us for um letting us you know talk their ears off and ask them <laughs> loads of questions um yeah, couldn't have asked for a nicer weekend. And um, yeah, I think it was really cool just to spend the time playing some games and just getting to enjoy them. Definitely. Um, it really did feel like a very low pressure way of meeting like-minded people and then meeting the people that make some of our favourite games, either past, present or future. And just having very like relaxed conversations and excited conversations about the games that we're either playing, watching, checking out. Um, and just to get their takes on things and just to kind of have that banter between the two of how we found certain elements of games uh, and just just overall just being in a place that kind of facilitates like, um, you know, like-minded individuals that kind of come together. Because, you know, gaming is a very insular experience for us all. I mean, online gaming has opened that up. So we do talk, but we don't talk face-to-face. -face. Um, so it was really 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 amazing to meet people that were just excited for games as we were um and industry and industry folk that kind of have been a part of a team that have created some of our favorite experiences after um from the last few years over at F finger guns um so yeah we had a lovely time um at the end of that we got a pretty damn good shake shack <laughs> oh my god it was incredible <laughs> yeah that was that was a uh, that was definitely part of the EGX experience. Uh, that will be a Would birth recommend. right now. I think. Yeah, we'll do that every year if we go. If you know, if we're welcome back, um, 
we'd love we'd love to do that on top of getting to meet lovely people and playing loads of games um but that's not all of the games that we got to check out um there was definitely a lot more that we saw from a distance where um it was either very crowded because so many people are loving it or we just didn't have the time to check out but we definitely did make sure to keep a note of them uh, we're going to be writing up about those games and doing an individual post on some of the spotlights. Uh, we'll have a full list of all all the things that we saw and what we think you should check out very soon. Um, so that's it from us. Thank you to EGX for having us and all of you very much for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like to follow us, on, you can absolutely can everywhere. Just go to the link tree in the description below where you can find us all in all, in all the places. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can at F. FNGRGNS. And if you'd like to follow us individually, all of our handles are in the description below, um, except for Miles, of course, because uh, he's very smart and not on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it these days. Um, if you really like what we do, why not follow our Patreon for just $1 a month? You can keep this podcast live on its various podcasting hosting services and keep the website nice and shiny. Uh, but that's me, it from me. I'm Josh. I have been your captain now uh, and maybe forever. Who knows? Um, and <laughs> and I've been joined by Miles. Uh, uh, yeah. But that's it from both of us. Uh, Miles, thank you. No, thank you very much as well, mate. It's been lovely to chat about the games and just recap it all. It's been nice to re-experience it all through talking about it for <laughs> the second time now, but uh, the first official time. Yeah, well, it feels like the third time now. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, the whole day we, we were just absolutely kind of just talking each other off about what we've just played and then we talked about it in a failed episode and then we talked about it again and we're successful and now you're listening to it we've so, got it we've done it <laughs> <laughs> uh so it's goodbye from miles farewell and it's goodbye from me i've been your host today and forever josh uh but we'll see you again on the regular scheduled finger guns podcast goodbye everyone